0: good morning, Antioch. Just had a, if you're, uh, if you're, if you just came in, uh, I'm not Ken Weitzman, my name is Ed Underwood, I'm, uh, I'm from Southern California, pastor of church, Church of the Open Door. By the way, I I really, well, they're all gone, but if you want to really, if you're a rocker like me, you want to really listen to this, you need to be back there, it is so loud and so good back there. Uh, I was digging it. Speaking of Church of the Open Door, I'm going to open us in prayer. It'll be important for you to find the book of Hebrews in your Bible or on your uh, whatever, your tablet or whatever it is you're using, the book of Hebrews. If you're new to Christianity and uh, you don't think you can find it, there's a table of contents on every device. And in your Bible, you can turn right to the book of Hebrews. But we're going to be in the book of Hebrews primarily this morning. If you wouldn't mind, uh, join me in prayer. I want to pray, no matter where I go in the world, uh, the biggest part of my heart is always back at Church of the Open Door, Uh, my community of faith, and a young man by the name of David Anderson is preaching in all three of our services today. It's Communion Sunday, which means he has to do the book of Isaiah in 20 minutes, so I think I ought to pray for him if I give him that assignment, don't you? Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you have cared for us and you have given us every gift we need uh, to walk with Christ. And now I want to begin by praying for uh, that sweet, sweet fellowship that I love, a Church of the Open Door, and I pray for my friend David Anderson that you would give him freedom, uh, you would uh, give him power, and I'm asking that they could have a, just a rich time of worship around your table and that uh, they will warmly receive God's Word. Now, Father, I pray for our time in the text and our discussion of faith today, that your Holy Spirit would be the God of this discussion and the God of what happens in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So Ken asked me to uh, join him in the series on faith He is in a series on faith, and I told him I'd be happy to do that. I think it's important to begin by understanding what it is we're speaking of. Uh, There are are two words, one the noun and one the verb, in the New Testament that are used to describe faith. What does faith mean? Uh, the, The noun pistis means confidence. It means trust. It means to hold something as true. Uh, The the verb pistuo. the Greeks would just uh, take the the noun and they would turn it into a verb by adding those letters. It uh, means reliance on something or someone. Every time it is used in the New Testament, it's used hundreds of times in the New Testament... Most spectacularly in the book of John, where it's used 98 times, either the noun or the verb, it always means the same thing. It's used with a couple of prepositions: the Greek preposition ice. It's used with the Greek preposition epi. It's also used uh, pointing to the dative uh, in the Greek text. All of that you don't have to remember any of those details, but it's really, really important to understand how faith is used in the New Testament. You've got to know what we're talking about. Every time faith is used in the New Testament, it is thrusting the reader's eyes forward to the object of the faith. It is thrusting the reader's object forward to the object of the faith. And what makes faith valid, it is not the faither. It's not the person believing that makes faith valid according to the New Testament and the Koine Greek usage of the word faith or the verb to believe. What makes it valid is the object of the faith. It is the object of the faith which determines whether or not the faith is going to work or not. And we see this in the book of John over and over again again as this this general gospel the one that is written to the entire world uh, is telling is telling the listener over and over again if you will place your faith if you will believe in Jesus you will receive eternal life but it's important for us to understand uh, that it always means in whatever form it's in it doesn't mean it doesn't mean simply mental assent mental assent is part of the process in English, we, we throw the verb believe and the word faith around as if it only means that we agree with something or that we think it's true. Uh, the biblical view of faith, the faith that redeems, not only in the reception of eternal life, but the faith that redeems as God is redeeming more and more of our lives once we receive Christ by faith is always beyond mental assent, beyond just saying, you yeah, know, I think that's true. Intellectually, I get that. It's always beyond that to trust or reliance. And I was, uh, briefly last night, I thought I ought to go online and see what Ken said last week, and I'm so happy that I agree with him. He, uh, I thought maybe I, I better check out what he said. I might have to rewind this whole thing. And he, he defined it as dependence, I saw Last week. And that's a good definition. A good definition of faith or belief is it indicates reliance on something or someone. The quintessential verse on faith in the New Testament is in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. This is a great definition of Faith. Now without faith, now without faith that's the word pistus, the noun form it is impossible to please him. For the one who approaches God must believe there's the verb pistuo must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek Him and that he rewards. That's where the trust, that's where the reliance comes in comes in, the dependence. So I not only think that it must be true because it's historically verifiable that Jesus Christ lived on earth, that he died, that he was buried, and he rose again. To receive eternal life, I'm not only saying that it's true, but I'm saying that Jesus, I'm trusting him to reward me with eternal life if I will believe in him, that he is the one who made payment For our sins. Churchianity and evangel jive thoughts mess up faith. Always wanted to add something to it. Faith is the catalyst of the Christian life. It begins by faith. Growth is by faith. And it's all about faith from beginning to end. For without faith... It is impossible to please please him. For we must not only believe that he exists, but we must believe that he is a rewarder, that he is a truth teller, that he is worthy of our trust. So the way to become a Christian isn't by raising your hand or walking a Nile or having some, you know, hot shot experience. A Christian is someone who sometime in their life has heard what the Holy Spirit says about Jesus Christ, that he is the anointed one sent from God, the prophesied Messiah of Israel, the Son of God sent to make payment for sin. And when we transfer our trust, when we transfer our trust from whatever we might be trusting in, our good works, our churchianity, are uh, you know th- that we're smarter than everybody? Whatever that our family is Christian, we have to transfer our trust to Christ in Christ alone, and on the authority of Scripture. That is when someone becomes a Christian. Christians know that they're trusting in Christ. What I want to talk about this morning is an aspect of faith. And when Ken asked me to teach today, I said uh, I'd be happy. Uh, to, to teach on faith, if you'll let me talk about the primary journey that I've been on over the last 15 years, uh, the, a, a, a change in my own thinking, and the primary journey we have been on at Church of the Open Door that has revolutionized, and, and I'm not. this is not hyperbole, I'm telling you this has revolutionized my own Christian life, and it has revolutionized Church of the Open Door. We're going to be talking about the role of faith, the role of faith after we're a Christian. We're going to look at two passages in Hebrew, in Hebrews. You don't have to look at them in Hebrew. It was a long time since I took Hebrew. You can look at it in Hebrew. I just can't read it anymore. I can still read Greek, but Hebrew, I'm done. Anyway, uh, in the book of Hebrews, the first is Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. In our relationship with God, faith means reliance. So once we receive eternal life by trusting in Christ as the one who made payment for our sin, Hebrews 11.6 says that the way we're going to please him, the way we're going to grow in the Christian life, is to continue to depend upon him, to trust him, to believe what he says about our life. And there are messages that he is sending to us. Some of those messages are what he has said. Some of those messages are what he has said. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. is this great passage on the word of God and the power of the 66 books of the Bible in our lives. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit, And joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. So this is something for us to believe in. There is truth that God has preserved for us to read. And as we read this, the Holy Spirit is going to filter through all of our defense mechanisms and all of our rationalizations. And the Holy Spirit will bring these messages to us. No creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. So the Word of God has this role in our life. I think most Christians, most Christians have learned to connect our faith and our growth to the Word of God. We have learned that this is a resource. That God has provided a resource And if we will depend upon that resource, if we will trust that resource, then God will use it to grow our lives. and it'll be by faith. We'll read something in the word of God, and we'll say, "Whoa, this isn't the way I'm living." I'm going to trust what God says about my marriage. I'm going to trust what God says about my finances. I'm going to trust what God says about my family and about my children and about this world and about the needs of this world and what, how God wants me to fit into it. I'm going to trust that. I'm going to trust it enough to depend upon it as that which I am about. Most Christians have connected uh, the Word of God Uh, to their faith, and so they make themselves aware, they uh, they avail themselves to this resource, the resource of the Word of God. But there's another passage in Hebrews, and I don't want to turn you to it yet, but it's a passage in Hebrews that connects our faith to the other primary resource of the church age. The first primary resource of the church age, that if we will believe it, if we will trust it, if we will Hebrews 11.6 it, if we'll not only believe that God wrote the Bible, but we will believe that he is going, it's going to be the best path of our life to do what his Bible says. That's the one resource. But there's another primary resource that I have found that many, many Christians are not accessing. The sad and tragic truth is that when most Christians think of this resource, they think of it in a way they would never think of the Bible. They say things about this resource that they would never say about the Word of God. If we treated this resource like we treat the Word of God, we would say these things about the Bible. You know what? I was reading in the Bible, and I came to a page... I didn't like that page. It didn't meet my needs or the needs of my family. So I'm going to find another passage that I like better. If we treated this, the Bible the way we treat this resource, people would say, you know, I was reading my Bible once and it hurt me. I was disappointed. I was really disappointed in a few of those passages. So I'm through with the Bible. Never going to read it again. What would you say to a Christian who said that? Come on, man. It's the Bible. It's your resource. You need to, Hebrews eleven six this thing. You need to trust it. Or what if a Christian said to you, you know what? I'm looking for a Bible that agrees With everything that I think about the Christian life, I don't want it to challenge me. I want it to validate me. I want to make sure that when I open this Bible that I'm looking for and look inside, that everything it says is exactly what I think it should say, exactly what I've always thought. Exactly, what my personal opinion about Christianity is. The passage I want to turn you to, again in the book of Hebrews, is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. This is a resource that is almost universally ignored in terms of faith, it's the resource of community. It is the resource of community. It's the resource of the assembly, the local assembly of Christians, the local church. The resource of community, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Uh, the, The specific title that I have today is The Role of Faith in Community. The Role of Faith in Community. Let me just uh, give you the context of this. Uh, Hebrews is a, a, a book that is all, it is, it is a warning. It is a warning to Hebrew Christians who were being uh, persecuted uh, because, of, by their families, and they were deciding that maybe what I'll do is I'll just kind of get stealthy here. I'll go back into Judaism. I'll still be a Christian. I'm going to go back into Judaism because it's a much easier life. The book of Hebrews is written to them, uh, and it's not a warning. Hey, if you do that, then, then you lose your salvation. It's a warning and a call. Please don't do that. There's so much you're going to miss if you do that. So the fourth warning in the book of Hebrews is a warning against the consequences of willfully sinning, willful, prolonged sinning, and and what you're going to lose as a Christian if you stay into that lifestyle. And that's not the point of this sermon, uh, but there is an admonition in verses 19 through 25, a warning against uh, the divine discipline, and then there's an encouragement to persevere. Uh, the admonition in verses 19 through 22 in Hebrews chapter 10 is all about the new covenant. It's all about the new covenant. It's extremely important. In Jeremiah 31 31 through 34, Jeremiah comes on the scene uh, and he's speaking primarily to the nation Judah, but he's speaking to both Judah and Israel. And he says, Now that it's obvious, and they're about ready to go uh, into captivity, about going to go into captivity under judgment. The Babylonians were going to take them into Babylonia. And Jeremiah says, Now that it's obvious, 17 historical books, read it. The ever loving, never failing God and his never loving, never failing people. Now that it's obvious that you will never, never, never. Keep the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. I'm going to talk to you about a new covenant. And this is a tremendous, this is going to be a whole new deal from God. What's going to happen with this new covenant is your sins are going to be forgiven and forgotten. You are going to have the Spirit of God within you. You are going to be a new creation So that you're going to have a desire. It's no longer going to be a requirement because I'm going to place my life within you. So it's no uh, no longer uh, a, a requirement. It'll be a desire. And you'll have the power to do what God wants you to do. Jesus gathers the disciples in the upper room. And at the Last Supper, he says to them, Luke 22, 20, 1 Corinthians 11. He says to them, as he passes the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. So the age has come. We are under the new covenant. So, what 19 through 25 is saying, uh, since you're a new covenant believer, you can draw near to God with new covenant privilege and consequence. So, let me read the sense part in verses uh, 19 through 22. And it's, it's really cool in the Greek text, it's all one sentence, which was a Greek way of saying, man, this is so connected. 19 through 25 is one sentence in the Greek, but we've had to break it up for English. So I'll, I'm going to read, I'm reading from the Net Bible. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the fresh and living way, this new covenant he's been talking about in chapter 10, that he inaugurated... For us, through the curtain, that is through his flesh, meaning his death made this possible. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, big theme in Hebrews, that we're a whole new creation, this church, uh, it's, it's all being built by God, not by these uh, letters, but by, not by the old dead stones of the temple, but by the living stones of the church. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in the assurance that faith brings, in the assurance that faith brings. So he's going to tell us there's something to believe here. Because we have had our hearts sprinkled clean and an evil conscience, our bodies washed in pure water. And then an exhortation. And let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess, for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. You see, everything there has to do with faith. The writer of Hebrews says you've got to believe that you're a new creation. And now I'm going to tell you something else you've got to believe. Because Jesus is worthy of your trust. This is something not just for you to give mental assent to. This is something for you to trust in. This is something for you to Hebrews 11.6. Not only think that this exists, but respond to it in faith because there's going to be a reward. And that doesn't mean that God's going to make you rich. It means that everything he wants to give you in this life is going to be accessed by faith. Significance, power, meaning, intimacy. Verse 24. And let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works. Not abandoning our own meetings, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other And even more so because you see the day, meaning the return of Christ, drawing near. Let me read verses 24 and 25. Some of you have probably memorized this verse and heard it in Sunday school growing up. And it was simply translated, the application was only, you need to go to church. As if showing up somewhere on a Sunday morning for an hour is what this is talking about. That's part of this, but it's so much more than this. And let us take thought. Some translations have that consider. It means to study. Study what? The Word of God? No, there's nothing about the Word of God here. Study one another. Let us consider. Let us study and think about one another how we can spur one another onto love and good works. Don't abandon this community as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and even more since the world seems to be falling apart. This is the way I would put it Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. The admonition is since you're a new covenant believer and you have this power, And you're not the only one that has his power. I, I am a new creation in Christ. God's Spirit lives in me. And I am to gather in communities where other people are new creations in Christ and God's Spirit is living in them. And I'm to gather in communities. Since we are a new creation in Christ and we have his Spirit, gather in communities that stimulate Love and good works. A couple of other passages. The need uh, for faith. Uh, This stimulation to love and good works only succeeds if we trust. Remember what we said about the word of God? You ever met anybody that reads the Bible and knows the whole Bible and doesn't do anything about it? We've all met those people, haven't we? I've heard kids say, My dad, you know, he's an authority on the Bible, but it doesn't seem like any of it's hitting home. Well, that's because faith, it's not not just to read the Bible, but to trust it so that what it's saying to me can make a difference in my life. In the same way, God is saying there is another resource to access, and that resource is the community of faith, the church. If we trust what the Holy Spirit is saying through community, because of our role, of, uh, because of our view of church, and this is just true, most Christians live isolated, successful, and I put that in quotes, because they're defining their own success, satisfied and medicated, because we try to make it on our own. We're Western Christians. We're cowboys for Jesus. We run off into the sunset, and, and it's just between me and God. And the result of that is, when I travel all over the world, and I'm talking even about leaders. Maybe especially about leaders. They're living isolated, successful by some definition, satisfied, and medicated. A couple of passages we don't have to turn to those. Ephesians chapter four verse fifteen says one of the things supposed to happen when we gather together is we're supposed to be speaking the truth in love. And a more literal translation is that Hebrewism would be truthing in love. We're to be truthing in love. We're to be telling one another what the Holy Spirit is telling. I should be, if we're in community, I should be telling you what the Holy Spirit is telling me about your life. Not in a prophetic way like, God just told me that you need to move to Madagascar. None of that. I mean that as we get to, as we are gathered together in community, and I'm watching your life, and you're watching mine. We're not just showing up to warm a seat, you know, to have more noses to count and more nickels to give. We're showing up so that we can live in community and study one another so that we can be known. I love it that God knows everything about me and loves me anyway. And what I deeply desire are a few trusted friends in a community that knows everything about me and loves me anyway. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 is another passage. Everybody gets all caught up in these roles in marriage and these roles in this and these roles in that. But the template is Ephesians 5 21. We are supposed to be submitting one to another. Uh, We're supposed to be loving one another in that way. Hebrews 13.17 says that it's important for us to view the authority in the local church as caring for our souls and respond to that. Because of our view of church, we're living isolated and medicated. So A lot of Christians are just medicating by activity and medicating by church and medicating by theology. But when you get really close to them, you realize they're medicating for other, in other ways. Here's what I would say as I look at Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 in the context of that fourth warning. So I look throughout the New Testament. I would say this, Christian, uh, you were not reborn to live alone and find your own w- lonely way through life. God gave you a community to love you with protective love, but you must have the faith it takes to receive the blessings of community. You got to trust that God knew what he was doing when his one and only plan is a local church. If you think that the church is there to serve your needs, I would preach this at Church of the Open Door and I'm preaching it here. I don't even know you. I know a few of you, but I don't know you. I don't know why you're coming to Antioch, but if you think that Antioch is here to serve your needs, think again. Jesus, the church is here to stimulate you to the love and good works Jesus had in mind when he saved you. It is a resource to trust in. To live without community is to live without one of the primary resources God has provided for you in Christ. Church hopper, stop hopping and start engaging in community. A community that will protect you from yourself by telling you the truth about yourself couple of stories that might help you here. Contrasting stories. There's a couple, a family in our church. and, And we're really, really into this at Church of the Open Door. We're really into community. We're really into this whole thing about speaking the truth into one another's life. We're really into this idea that we, we want to be known and we want to be loved by people who know us. And it's always interesting to hear people go, oh, God, that's so wonderful. Oh, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Until. <laughs> so we had this family, a sweet family, uh, came from, you know, come from, like all of us, they come from a lot of pathology, a lot of messed up stuff in their, in their past. And they're, and they're, so they're coming to Church of the Open Door. They're getting involved in, in discipleship. They're getting involved in some advanced things. They're beginning to take some leadership roles. But one thing was beginning to happen, and that was that they were absolutely sure that there was a direction their life should go and that uh, Church of the Open Door should say, yippee-wee, go! Man, God gave you a word, and off you go. woohoo! hoo When we were all thinking... That's nuts. That's what we were thinking. People are whispering to themselves. Are they really thinking that they're going to? I don't know if you've ever seen this happen in church. So everybody, the Holy Spirit, it really is. Sometimes what turns into gossip is just a sinful alternative to doing what the Holy Spirit is really revealing to do, what he tells us to do, and that is to speak the truth in love to the only one who could grow from that truth, the one that the truth is about. So we pray about this. We're talking. We're processing. Judy, Judy's here today. My, my wife and Judy and I are praying, and we, and we partner with another pastoral couple and with an elder couple. And we have them over at our house. And we're just saying, look. They even know the language because they've been a part of COD now for a long time. And we talk about this all the time. And we said, look, I know this is hard for you to hear. But as a community, we think this decision would be horrible for your marriage and horrible for your family. And we began to tell them why. And we, were, we knew them. We were involved in their lives. And they asked the question. They said, so are you telling us no? And I said, yeah. I, that's what we're saying. But not because we hate you. Because we love you. Oh, thank you so much. It's, oh, it's just so wonderful to have a church. And uh, Okay, fine. And something in me was a little unsettled. And so they left, and we had dessert, and they left. And Judy looked at me, and she said, I think that went well. I went on my phone. I looked, and I said, it didn't go that well. They just unfriended me on Facebook. <laughs> Dang, they weren't out of the driveway. <laughs> Contrast that to a man by the name of Al Negron, one of my heroes. Al grew up on the mean streets of of New York in a Puerto Rican neighborhood. ended up as a young man uh, on drugs and alcohol, skid row in L.A., went to the L.A. mission, came to Church at the Open Door years and years ago. Al is one of the most gifted Bible teachers I've ever heard. And he was teaching in the church. He was taking on a lot of assignments in the church. Al called one of our elders one morning about five years ago, and he said to our elder, You need to come get me. I'm in jail. He came and he met with the elders, and he said, Look, guys, I got a secret. I'm an alcoholic. I I just need help. And we took him through a process that was oh so painful. His first question was, Can I still teach the Bible? And we said, Not now, man. You got to step aside. Dude, you got to take care of life. Let us help you. He began to listen to us, and he was considering us as what the messages from us who loved him, as messages of love. Did some very difficult things and ma- very difficult things in his family and in his marriage and in his personal life. And just long story short, God's redeemed that. Now he is the pastor of our Spanish service. But it was because he didn't say, don't tell me that I can't, I don't like hearing this. He did say, you know, i got to resist this. This doesn't feel right to me. And we're able to catch them and say, yeah, but that is the time where you're most ready to grow. When the community is telling you something you don't want to hear. People who run from church because they hear a message they don't want to hear are missing out many, many times. I've seen it. And what may be their last best chance to get whole." We've got to rethink church. We've got to rethink the messages that come to us from church. Just a couple of truths that really have grabbed my heart. First is, submission is a love word. Submission is a love word, not a control word. Mutual submission in the body of Christ. Submission to spiritual authority. Even though it is often used to control, Uh, It's not a control, biblically it's not a control word, it's a love word. I am submitting to what my close friends say to me about my life, not because I think, well, okay, I guess somebody's going to control me, might as well be you. I submit to them because they love me. And this is God's only conduit to protect me from myself. And I've been to seminary. I'm dangerous in the Bible. Aren't I, sweetie? Where's Judy? I'm dangerous. No matter, I mean, for years she goes, I don't think that. Man, I could find four verses, give her a Greek thing there, and see, I'm right. You're wrong. I'm the theologian here. She never bought it, but nevertheless, I tried. The more familiar you are with your Bible, the greater the opportunity for blessing and the greater the opportunity for you to manipulate your world to get your way. All you need is a verse. Man, when you're living honestly and openly in community, you got a rocking thing going on in your life to change it. Accountability. It's a big word now in Christianity. Accountability, I think... Uh, Usually degenerates into control and hiddenness. We are using a term we call protective love instead. And if protective love is trusted, it will release us to our destiny in Christ. It cracks me up, this uh, accountability thing. I was teaching at Biola, I was teaching hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible at Biola. And I noticed a couple of the guys, and they had this rubber band on their wrist. And, and I called him up afterwards, and I said, what's that rubber band for? He said, well, we put a rubber band on our wrist. It's our accountability group. So every time we look at porn, we put a rubber band on our, on our wrist. About four weeks in the class, there guys, I mean, they got... I mean, they're just rocking some rubber bands, man. And I said, how's that accountability working for you? And I said, here's what you're going to do. If you don't get help, you're going to start lying. Because really, it's the only choice with accountability. What do we get together in accountability so I can report what I did wrong? And somebody goes, mm-hmm. protective love grabs me before I'm sinning. Protective love says, this is what I see in your life, Ed. This is where I think you're at risk. Protective love is about blocking, to use a football meant, it's about Blocking for the guy carrying the ball. Accountability is just tackling him when he goes out of bounds. Another truth that I get from this is church should be a safe place, not a soft place. I love what Randy Alcorn says about grace. That grace doesn't lower the bar, it raises the bar. Grace means that we have greater expectations from people. And so the church should be a, a safe place. This is what we hear at Church of the Open Door because we preach about grace all the time. As soon as we tell somebody what they don't want to hear, man, I got you was all about grace. Really? What Does grace mean I'm under grace? So I can do whatever the stink I want to do. It's not what a grace is about. Grace is there to make us more like Christ. And we need help. Church should be a safe place. It was never meant to be a soft place. Who else is going to tell you the truth about yourself if not your Christian friends and the spiritual leaders of your faith community? The, go- the time is going to come when the message of the community is going to be be something you do not want to hear, when that happens, that is your God-given opportunity either to grow toward your destiny in Christ or return to the evangel-jive life of being successful and medicated. I talk to people all the time. They say, man, I love Jesus, but I can't stand Christians. Yes, I feel like that sometimes too, but don't let... Uh, i just say this, the joy of intimacy with Christ and one another in community eclipses the pain of the messiness of authentic community. Don't let your fear of the pain, I mean, talk to those of you who are not yet thrown in with this, with this fellowship. Don't let the fear of the pain of what might happen if you become involved in a local church, of what you're trying to avoid about church, keep you from the joy of what God wants you to experience in church. People come to church at the open door and they say, I, don't want, I just don't want to be hurt again. And I always say the same thing, then don't come here. We're going to hurt you because community is messy and I might be the guy that does it. I'm but there's something that's happening. Faith means trust or reliance. We were not reborn to live alone and find our lonely way through life. God gave us community to stimulate love and good works. But you must trust, rely, have confidence in what the community is saying to you. You That access is by faith. A very important way to grow in the Christian life is through faith in what the community is saying. heres i can just give you the history. I've been around Christianity for a long time. These buzzwords. In the 70s, people would choose churches because I want to get fed, meaning I want the Bible. Uh, A little later in the 70s, and the early 80s, people said, I want to be in a church where I can discover my spiritual gifts and, and I can use my spiritual gifts. Then in the 80s and 90s, I'm looking for a church that's all about my family. Now everybody's looking for a church that is missional. And all of those things are really, really good. Let me tell you how to choose a church. I have another way to choose a church. Choose a church. Look for a, ch- a church where you feel safe enough to fail and safe enough to hear the hard messages that will come through the messy, messy process of loving one another by speaking the truth into our lives. This has been the most dynamic aspect of my faith in Christ over the last 15 years and I'm never going back. I'm never going back. I got a staff at Church of the Open Door that speaks truth into my life. I got four buddies we call the Redwood Brothers. You know a couple of them. Redwoods have very shallow roots but if they stay together they can they can withstand everything. I got my bride. I got a few trusted friends. And they tell me the truth about my life and they protect me. They protect me from myself. The one thing I've learned about this, so if you're a church leader listening to this and it resonates with you, if you're a father, a husband, a wife, uh, and this resonates with you, now let me give you the hard part. The more power you have in the community, the more power you have in this relationship, the more power you have in whatever this forum is, that you're thinking about exercising protective love and speaking the truth into one another's lives, the more important it is for you to go first. I can still remember when this all started, at Church of the Open Door. and I was studying all this stuff, and the, and the staff guys came to me, and they said, Is this really what you want to do? Yeah, yeah, I'm all into it. It will be great. Yeah, awesome. I want to be a protective love community. We're going to speak the truth to one another. Man, we're going to grow in Jesus. And our worship leader, Tom Townsend, said, you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. You guys tell me. And they started talking. What they said is none of your business. I mean it. I was like, what? 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 Oh, man, did I argue with him. You know what? I was exegeting Greek when you guys were like little guys. Ed, you said you wanted They went through this list. I looked at Judy, and I brought the list home, and she goes, yeah. I called my son lieutenant in the United States Army. First he laughed, and he said, Dad, these guys are so on to (laughs) you. And then I could tell over the phone that he teared up. And he said, Why were guys like that when I was a little boy? I'm never going back. I don't want to live unprotected. I don't want people to meet the me without some friends that I can trust my life to. That's community. That's growth. That's faith. You got a Hebrews 11.6 church. You got to trust it in all its glorious mess. Because God has no plan B. Father, I want to pray for Antioch Church. I'm praying, Father, that your spirit would continue to do the deep work that he has already begun in this place. And that Christians would feel safe. That leaders would feel safe. That no one would have to live isolated. That the truth could be spoken from the top down and from the bottom up. And that they could grow together in Christ and that you would, through the messiness of community, release them individually and corporately to their destiny in Christ. I pray this in the name of the only one's name that matters, the one who washed us from our sin in his own blood, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.